48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Robert Kemp. Tonight's headlines. The police launch a hotline for suspected breaches of the national security law. Critics warn it'll worsen polarisation in society. And Joe Biden inches towards victory in the US elections. Hong Kong police have launched a hotline inviting people to report suspected breaches of the SCR's national security law. Vicky Wong reports. In posts on social media, the force says people can send tips anonymously by email or SMS, as well as via one communication app, WeChat. In a post on Facebook, the force says the hotline is for non-emergency reports on national security matters, and people can send information, photographs, audio or video, although it won't accept calls. Police say they won't collect personal information on those providing the tip-offs. When news of the hotline emerged last week, the move was condemned by pro-democracy campaigners with warnings that it will spread distrust in the SAR. But many of the comments on the police's Facebook post have been positive, with people saying they support the force. Some say they will report people who eat at yellow restaurants deemed to be pro-democracy, and others say they will tip the police off about yellow judges. The force also posted details of the hotline on Twitter, where the comments were not so positive. Several comments involved the word Gestapo. Democratic Party lawmaker Lam Chuk Ting says the hotline would just turn people against one another. They try to encourage Hong Kong people to accuse each other and uh, it will create a chilling effect. I'm worried that uh, the hotline and the policy of the police force will um, worsen the distrust among Hong Kong people. Executive Councillor Ronnie Tong says he doesn't think people would abuse the new hotline. Hong Kong people are, I think, mature enough to understand that we should uh, treat it as part of our civic duty and not anything more than that. Uh, And in particular, it is not a way to gain revenge against anybody you don't like or try to make people feel uncomfortable in their daily lives. Hospital authority says a 78-year-old COVID patient has died, bringing the death toll here to 107. He was a resident of an elderly care home in San Po that had had a coronavirus outbreak. Meanwhile, health officials reported one new local COVID-19 infection today with no clear source. Dr. Tuan Shuk Kwan of the Centre for Health Protection said the patient was a 40-year-old aircraft engineer who believed he'd had contact with air crew who were later diagnosed with the coronavirus. She said officials were checking his work rosters to figure out whether this could be how he caught the virus. They will have to discuss what kind of things need to be repaired in the cargo flights after they land. So their contact were mainly in conversation and he usually wore masks and the contacts were usually brief. They do not have lunch or, or meals together. There were six imported cases today involving two people who flew in from the Philippines and others from Turkey, Brazil, India and Russia. Donald Trump's lead has narrowed even further in one of the U.S. states that's crucial to his hopes of holding on to the presidency, Georgia. With only about 4% of the ballot there left to count, Joe Biden is now in sight of catching his rival. With more, here's Laura Podesta from CBS News. 
The Biden campaign is feeling very confident, but we also know that President Trump is holding out hope that he is going to be the victor. But again, Biden right now has the edge as far as what we're seeing with votes counted overnight. For example, in Georgia, the race has narrowed to just 18,500 votes that Trump has over Biden, and there are still roughly 90,000 to be counted, and many of those mail-in ballots are going to turn out to be Democratic. They're majority blue. As far as Pennsylvania, that gap is also narrowing in Biden's favor, and that's because the votes that are left to be counted in Pennsylvania are in the Philadelphia area and the surrounding counties, which are all Biden's strongholds. Donald Trump's campaign team has alleged voting irregularities in a number of states. International observers say there's no evidence of that. Professor Lawrence Douglas, who's a legal expert at Amherst College, says the Trump campaign is using different tactics in different states. In a certain way, they are talking out of their mouth in two different directions. I mean, in the sense that uh, they want the counting to continue in Nevada and Arizona, where it could benefit them. And they basically want the counting to stop in any other state in which they think it is uh, to their disadvantage to let it continue. So it's not exactly what we could say is a consistent position. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. The United States has condemned the arrest of an RTHK producer this week, saying Beijing must stop its attempts to destroy press freedom in Hong Kong. Maggie Hill reports. In a brief statement, Deputy Spokesman of the Department of State, K.L. Brown, said the U.S. is deeply concerned about the arrest of RTHK investigative journalist Bao Choi. Mr. Brown says the Chinese Communist Party and its Hong Kong proxies must cease their efforts to crush press freedom. Ms. Choi had worked on RTHK documentaries on the Yunlong mob attack last year, which revealed how police officers saw that a gang of weapon-carrying men were gathering in the area, but did not intervene. The journalist was arrested and charged on Tuesday in relation to searches carried out on owners of vehicles that appeared to have transported some of the attackers to the town on the night in question. On her social media account, she writes that she's grateful to everyone who supports freedom of the press. Words can't express my gratitude for the help and blessings, she says. Miss Choi is due to appear in court next Tuesday. Media groups here have also expressed anger over the arrest. The Journalists Association says it's absurd that reporters doing their jobs were subject to pressure by way of legal cases. The group's chair, Chris Young, says the financial stress on reporters and media groups dealing with legal action amounts to political suppression. If they have to face charges, they have to get, say, legal advice, and that means costs money. We hope that that won't become a trend, a very unhealthy, damaging trend for people to make use of their power and resources to suppress media organizations, particularly those that they do not agree with. Pro-Beijing lawmaker Junius Ho says he's writing to the chief executive Carrie Lam asking her to move to disqualify several pan-democratic members. He accused the pan-democrats of violating their LegCo oath by disrupting meetings, including by making multiple calls for quorum counts. He described their behavior as poor and shameful. How do I see their action violating the oath, of course, is a serious one. I treat it very seriously. Actually, every minute that matters, every minute that counts, you're spending and burning the money of Hong Kong taxpayers. You're wasting all the chance and all the time and all, all, also the opportunity to take care of the proper business within the LegCo. 
well, this can't be right. Nobody would allow this sort of thing to, to continue. And I'm one of them to, to see this stopped ASAP. Workers and employers' representatives have hit a stalemate in discussions over speeding up the timeline to give blue-collar workers the same holiday rights as office staff. The Labour Advisory Board met today to discuss the government's plan to add the five extra holidays at a rate of one every two years for the next decade. Bill Tang of the Federation of Trade Unions said that pace was too slow and proposed ending the holidays in three years' time. Temuel Yu, an employer representative on the board, says it's difficult for bosses to accept that proposal. The problem, yes, right now is not the right timing because the economy, we are still trying to come down the uh, COVID-19. So with that in mind, you know, right now the government proposal is 10 years. We want to support the government, but the current situation is really if the employee side want to reduce the number of years, we have difficulties. 30-year-old man was given a 55-day prison sentence after being convicted of throwing a metal can onto a road last year as police were clearing away a barricade set up by protesters. Priscilla Ng reports Patrick Cheng was released on bail pending an appeal. Eastern Magistracy heard that Patrick Cheng had, without a lawful excuse, thrown a metal can onto the junction of Saiwan Ho Road and Hoining Street on November 11th, a day when anti-government protesters declared a citywide strike. The can measured around 0.2 square meters in size, or about the size of one and a half pieces of A4 paper. Mr. Cheng's lawyer said during the mitigation plea that the item did little to obstruct the road. But Magistrate Chiang Kei Hong disagreed, saying the Defendant's Act had created an enormous impact on people who just wanted to live their normal lives. The magistrate found the 30-year-old guilty of one count of obstructing a public place, adding that a jail sentence was necessary to reflect the severity of the offence. Chinese University has warned students that promotional material created for a photo exhibition on last year's clashes at the university could be illegal. It's also condemned their description of what took place on campus. Damon Pang reports. A poster for the event shows, among other things, flags which read Liberate Hong Kong Revolution of Our Times and a black-clad protester wearing a respirator. Also depicted are the current and former heads of the university, Rocky Tuan and Joseph Sung, who had turned up at the scene of the clashes to try to de-escalate tensions. In a statement, CHK says the poster contains potentially illegal content and an inappropriate use of images. It also says it is extremely regrettable that the exhibition organizers have provided biased descriptions of the violent clashes, adding that it doesn't allow any behavior that is illegal or damages its reputation, and it has the power and responsibility to ban any activities that are against the rules. However, the university's campus radio quoted a student leader as saying they would not withdraw the promotional material. The exhibition, scheduled for November the 11th to the 18th on the university's campus in Chartin, is to commemorate the first anniversary of the prolonged battles at the site, when protesters threw petrol bombs, bricks and other objects at police, who responded with volley after volley of tear gas and rubber bullets. Organizers say the psychological trauma of the violence continues to haunt people, and it's imperative to remember what happened and tell others about it. The mainland is banning non-Chinese travellers from entering the country from Britain and Belgium in a temporary measure to prevent a resurgence of the coronavirus. As Natalie Ching reports, the countries are among Europe's worst affected by the pandemic. 
The Chinese embassies in the United Kingdom and Belgium say on their websites that the bar applies even to non-Chinese travelers holding valid visas or residence permits. They say it won't affect those holding diplomatic, official, and courtesy visas. Adding that anyone with special urgent needs to visit China could apply for a visa at the embassies. China says it has no choice but to impose what it said would be a temporary measure, adding it will make adjustments in accordance with the latest developments. Europe is struggling to counter a second wave of coronavirus infections. A month-long lockdown is now in effect in Britain as it grapples with a surge in cases. In March, China had barred entry of all foreigners, but eased the ban in September as it allowed those with valid residence permits to enter. Cathay Pacific says more than 90% of flight attendants and pilots who were spurred from the airline's recent mass layoffs have signed new lower-paid contracts. Those who didn't sign will be leaving the company. Timmy Sung has details. According to the airline, 2,610 pilots and 7,340 cabin crew have signed up for the new terms. And that's 98.5% of the pilots and 91.6% of the flight attendants. CAFE says the contracts are competitive, but it respects the decision of those who chose to leave instead of accepting the new terms. These staff will be offered packages that go beyond statutory requirements. None of the severance payments will be offset against pension contributions, and staff will be reimbursed for any unpaid leave they took this year, the airline says. The chairwoman of CAFE's flight attendance union, Suki Wong, says the fact that 10% of her colleagues have refused to sign the new contracts suggests that the terms aren't that attractive. Most of them are telling us that they signed because they don't want the termination, the term termination on their CV. But they are not satisfied with the new contracts. Ms Wong says those rejecting the contracts are mostly senior cabin crew or those from foreign countries who have decided to retire instead. She also says it's unfair that the cabin crew who are leaving won't receive the extra month of salary and other benefits given to those who were made redundant earlier as part of the airline's restructuring. The government says the latest round of its inflation-linked I-bonds has been nearly four times oversubscribed. The final issue amount will now be increased to $15 billion from $10 billion. Government spokesperson said around 460,000 people had applied for the three-year bonds, which have minimum interest rate of 2%. Total subscriptions came in at $38.9 billion. That's 70% more than the previous round in 2016. And a reminder of our top stories tonight, the police launch a hotline for suspected breaches of the national security law. Critics warn it'll worsen polarisation in society and Joe Biden inches towards victory in the US elections. News from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 It's time now to good stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. Executive Counsel Ronnie Tong says the launch of a new police hotline for people to report suspected breaches of the national security law is nothing to get worried about. Some critics have said the new hotline could easily be abused and further polarise society. But Mr Tong says he trusts that people would not misuse the new reporting mechanism to launch witch hunts against their enemies. He also told RTHK's Ben Chair there's a very good reason for the force to set up this hotline specifically for suspected national security crimes. I think that the police is trying to uh, uh, create a perception that they are very serious 
about enforcing the national security law. And I think for good reason, because uh, the national security law uh, is there to prevent serious crimes against the whole, uh, against the whole nation. Uh, it is a serious uh, uh, statute, and people need to be aware of its uh, uh, seriousness. Uh, I think that what the, the new uh, initiative is really no different from calling on citizens to discharge their civic duty. As we all know, that we all have a duty to prevent uh, crimes being committed. If you see a robbery uh, going on, you would need to, uh, I think, out of your civic duty, you would need to call the police and you would try to offer every uh, assistance to the police to prevent uh, the commission of such a crime. And I think um, this is uh, you know, not very different uh, under the national security law from the ordinary prevention of commission of crime uh, in Hong Kong. But I do wish the police would make proper explanation to uh, the, uh, the public that uh, this should not be uh, uh, turned into a witch hunt. Uh, it should not be uh, abused by anybody. Uh, any report should only be made if there are genuine grounds, uh, genuine grounds for suspecting that a crime is either being planned or is going on. Uh, so, uh, but I, I think that uh, Hong Kong people should, uh, uh, you know, uh, understand and uh, would. Uh, carry out their civic duty uh, accordingly. Now, from a technical point of view, if so-called uh, informants don't need to leave their contacts, meaning the police cannot uh, follow up or contact them, how effective do you think this hotline will be? Well, I have no idea. I think we need to perhaps give it some time to see how Hong Kong people react to it. Um, as I say, I think the important thing is that people should understand that we all have a civic duty to uh, prevent any crimes from being uh, committed, uh, and if a crime had been committed, we have a civic duty to ensure that we offer every assistance to the police to ensure that the criminals will be caught and dealt with uh, under the law accordingly. But uh, such a duty should not be uh, abused and should not be turned into a witch hunt to uh, create uh, you know, a, a, a white terror atmosphere on everybody they don't like. Uh, yeah. I think it is important in this respect that the police should try to explain very clearly to the public as to the extent of uh, our civic duty. Now, uh, you've mentioned that some people may turn this into a witch hunt or take advantage of this. Uh, as you know, since 2019, things have been very divided in society. What can the police actually do to um, ensure that people are not going to abuse the system? very clearly what is the, uh, the parameters of such an initiative. But I also think that Hong Kong people are, are, are I think, uh, mature enough to uh, understand that we should uh, treat it as part of our civic duty and not anything more than that. Uh, and in particular, it is not a way to, you know, uh, 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 gain revenge against anybody you don't like or try to make people feel uncomfortable in their daily lives. Uh, I think people in Hong Kong are mature enough to understand the difference between discharging a civic duty and turning it into uh, a witch hunt. The Danish Prime Minister has ordered a complete cull of all mink housed in fur farms across the country. 
Meta Fredrickson says the decision followed the discovery that a mutated strain of the coronavirus had been transmitted from the animals to humans. Anders Fomsgaard, Professor of Infectious Diseases and Chief Physician at the State Serum Institute in Copenhagen, spoke to the BBC's Bolo Masuro. Well, we do sequencing, genetic sequencing of all the positive samples. And I would say we would never have discovered without this new uh, genetic tool. So instead of test, 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 I would say sequence, sequence, sequence to your virologist. Well, we discovered in Denmark where we have 17 million mink on 1,200 farms. I think we are the top three producers in the world, that a parallel epidemic was developing and the number of farms were just increasing exponentially and we tried everything to contain it and it was not possible Uh, and it was spreading geographically and this giant reservoir of uh, of virus uh, was spreading to the community and people are infected with these variants in this area, about 50% of the people. And on top of that, we found this mutation in the spike protein, which is a crucial protein for immunity and after an infection or after a vaccine. And in the lab, we tested these, uh, some of these variants and found that they, in fact, was, as we feared, was a less uh, sensitivity a partial-resistant, actually, to antibodies. Professor, if I can ask you, this variant that you talk about, and when you say 50% of people infected have this variation, um, how dangerous is it, you know, and how worried are you now, given that there's now talk of culling these minks? Well, it's not just talking. Yesterday, the government decided to cull all minks, all 17 minks in Denmark, all 1,200 farms, even though it's only 200 farms that are infected. So I think they are very serious about this, stopping the source. And by isolating the humans, we can stop this acute virus. It's not a chronic virus. And we know how to stop it among humans with uh, social distancing and and the quarantine and all these measures that we cannot apply to animals or flock animals, producer animals. So once we have stopped the, 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 the hole, so to say, the source, I think we should be able to uh, contain this. No doubt those who own these farms, and uh, one can only assume what they uh, have been raising these, rearing these minks for, won't be too happy. But if it's such so contagious and... I believe you found this out about three months ago. Why wasn't the decision to cull them taken sooner if it is so easy for um, this strain of the coronavirus to be transmitted to humans from the minks? Well, the first three farms were culled and then they tried other measures to to contain it. And uh, obviously that didn't help. And it went very fast, I would say, and we had no control of why that is, uh, most likely with humans, uh, workers that works on several farms. But the, it was kind of a mystery. And, and uh, un- until uh, recently, uh, there was n- no cooling. But then they took up cooling again. Uh, problem was that it was uh, difficult to keep up with the speed with two or three new farms with 20,000 minks each being infected right. every day. So they could not keep up with it. 
and we could see that it was inevitable that they would spread to farms within a distance of eight kilometers. And, and when this new mutant came along, they uh, said, okay, cooling of, of all. An online petition by former Australian Prime Minister Kevin Rudd calling for an inquiry into Rupert Murdoch's media dominance has got a record number of signatures. More than 500,000 Australians signed the petition to Parliament since it launched three weeks ago. The petition will likely be presented to Parliament, but it's not obligated to act on it. RTHK's Anne-Marie Evans asked our Australia correspondent, Jerry Gannon, what Mr Rudd's problem with Rupert Murdoch was. Well, it's been a long-standing problem. Um, uh, Kevin Rudd, of course, was an Australian Prime Minister. Um, traditionally, Murdoch's media has been to the right of... Uh, under the right of Genghis Khan, some people feel. So, uh, um, so uh, it's a long-standing feud, if you like, but not without good reason, it has to be said. And as you said, a half a million Australians have now signed this petition to Parliament. This is the largest ever petition uh, to the Australian Parliament, so it's not uh, at all insignificant. There is a great number of people who are turning off Murdoch uh, media. It's, 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 it's reaching fewer people now than it has in the past as more options become available. Uh, however, you know, it still carries a lot of influence because it, it's, it owns 70% of all the, all the newspapers in the country. Now, now that's, you know, that's not insignificant. So um, um, Kevin Rudd wants to smash this monopoly, really. And this was a monopoly that was allowed to happen by the parliament, because once we had a fairly vigorous um, policy of having a diverse media, we no longer have a diverse media now. So it's been allowed to uh, you know, be concentrated in the hands of one or two uh, moguls, if you, li- if you like to, to, to call them that. I was going to say, who owns the other 30? Well, um, Fairfax, uh, Fairfax Media, uh, now owned by the Nine Network. Uh, you know, there's also been a concentration of an amalgamation of the garden of you know print, radio, and television all all under one. You know, and as I said, there was there was a time when you couldn't have, say, those three in any one particular market. Well, that's that's all gone now. It's just a free for all. Now, half a million signatures, the largest ever, going up to Parliament. And you would think, well, that's going to make a difference. Probably not, because, as I said, the, the government is uh, the, the, the government is is well uh, is, is partial to Murdoch's media. Uh, some would say they're under the thumb of Murdoch's media. And, uh, and you know, in fact, for years it has been a tradition that whenever an Australian prime minister first came to power and, they, and he went to New York for a trip, his first call was to Murdoch. Um, you know, so that will just give you some idea of the influence that Murdoch and his media used to have on Australian public life and, and politics. I think that's now stopped, even though, you know, Kevin Rudd himself, who's, who's you know, given rise to this petition, he was also the one who went to, <laughs> to New York to meet Murdoch in his uh, palatial um, um, uh, palace, if you, if you like. Yeah, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, even the Murdoch clan isn't completely united on this. I mean, the son is James Murdoch has has uh, a few problems with his dad. Yes, there, there is starting to become a, a couple of fractures in in the, in the organisation. Um, James is having a few problems with his dad. The, the other uh, brother, Lockett, is supposed to be even more conservative and to the right 
of, uh, of the spectrum than, uh, than his old man. His old man has basically, you know, stepped out of the limelight. He's, he's, he's uh, turned off his, his Twitter account where he used to be very, uh, very busy. Um, since he married Jerry Hall, he's, he tends, he's gone into uh, a gentleman's retirement, if you like, <laughs> and a, a, a retirement that's indeed very comfortable. But Murdoch still keeps his finger on the pulse, and he gets very unhappy when things do not go his way. I mean, his desire is to control the world's media. You know, he's, he's, you know, he's effectively stated that on several occasions. He wants to control the world's media. Now, he tried it in, in the UK, and he almost got away with it. Scientists are calling for a reassessment of the penguin kingdom, saying there are 21 separate penguin species rather than 18. According to researchers at the University of Bath, the gentoo penguin, found mainly in Antarctica, is not one but four separate species, which should be assessed separately for conservation purposes. BBC's Helen Briggs reports on a penguin population problem. Colonies of Gentoo penguins are a familiar sound and sight in Antarctica, known for their flamboyant red-orange beaks and white eye patches. Numbers are increasing on the Antarctic peninsula, but have fallen on some surrounding islands. According to new research, different Gentoo populations are so distinct they should be considered four separate species. And while the penguins look pretty similar to the untrained eye, they vary slightly in size and shape and can be told about part by their DNA. Scientists say counting the birds as four separate species will help conservation efforts as it will be easier to monitor any local decline in numbers. Penguins face many threats in the wild including plastic pollution, overfishing and climate change. Those stories are part of the NewsRap programme which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Employers should sign employment contracts with employees and explain the terms in detail. Employees should understand clearly the employment terms including salary, benefits, working hours and termination notice before signing their contract. Employees should keep a copy of their contract and employers should not change the employment terms unilaterally. For inquiries, please call the Labor Department's hotline at 2717-1771. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to remember. 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 This is the time for you to take it easy, relax. And enjoy nostalgia with yours truly, Ray Cordero, from now until 1 a.m. Johnny Pearson at the piano. <laughs> <laughs> 